about time, it's about space, it's about saving the human race. It's about hate, it's about love, it's about everything above. It's about war, it's about peace, it's about changing history. It's about you, it's about me, it's about time. Hello and welcome to this week's program. My name is Art Cardos, and we're talking about being all in with the Lord. And as we approach this time of the year, we always talk more about the special moments that occurred as Jesus entered into the earth and his plan, God's plan, to return to the earth and to take a position in the earth that would benefit all of mankind that had fallen away from him. So God had a plan. And in All In, we talk about the plan that he has for us and how we might draw closer to the child that he created us to be in him, in this earth, doing his work uh, until he returns again. So um, as we pick up this week's program, uh, the topic is knowing who you are as God sees you. How does God see you? The Bible tells us in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved that he gave. Loving and love is always giving. Always giving. And this time of the year, we talk about giving. We're made in God's image and his likeness. And we talk about wanting to give to each other presents, gifts, things that perhaps we wouldn't do any other time of the year. Perhaps we should, but we don't. And so in the love of giving, in the law of giving, and loving others as God loves us, he so loved you that he sent his only son, Jesus, the Christ, into the earth to rearrange the earth's rules so you and I could benefit, because Adam had lost them, quite honestly. He'd given them up when he failed to, when he ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He fell from God's monumental grace into a deep, deep place where he couldn't get himself out of. And because of that, you and I couldn't get out of it either. Unless Jesus had come to get us out. And then all we have to do is call on his name and accept what he did and find the greatest gift of all, the gift of being born again, a second chance to be restored as if Adam had never sinned to all the rights and privileges that Adam had before he sinned. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? And we have to know who we are. First of all, we are loved by Almighty God. And God said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And one of the greatest miracles of the whole story is Mary accepting the Word as if it was 
the ultimate goal in her life to have a child not knowing a man, but she didn't ever think that before the angel said it to her. So therefore the angel said it, she received it, the Holy Spirit came and planted the word in her body to the point that she and her body conceived a child, not born from another man, but born from the word that was spoken to her. We have to grasp this about the word. The word was spoken to her by an angel, and she received it. Let it be done unto me, as you have said. Let it be done unto me. That was not a popular choice then, to find out that you're with child and not have uh, be able to explain who the father is. But it occurred. And she, she, by faith, took that. And then the next scene is she's running over to Elizabeth, her cousin, and, and sharing with her that she's going to have a child. And, um, and then she had, of course, explained that to Joseph. And they had a big conversation. That was not a light thing. However, Jesus was born. And we know the story. And so now he's born and he's into the earth, the word now that created the world, created the universe, that was in Christ Jesus from the beginning, from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are now in Mary. And she conceives and has a child that then takes back all that was stolen from us and hands us the keys to the kingdom. So who are you that God would, God, the God of the universe, the God who created all things, would go to such lengths to get you and I back into the kingdom of God? Who are we? That's a good question. Who exactly do you think you are? Well, first of all, you are loved by God. And one of the things God tells us to do is to realize that our warfare in everyday life, is not against flesh and blood. As you get together and celebrate with relatives, sometimes you think it is warfare against flesh and blood. But it's not flesh and blood. It's against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness. And we are to cast down every imagination that tries to exalt itself above God's Word. So how do we do that? Here in Ephesians 6, 11 through 18, he tells us to put on the armor of God. Let's go over that for a second. The armor, putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, Jesus came to defeat the devil, and he did. Then he turns around and says, now here is a way for you and I to put on the full armor of God so that we can be defeating the devil every day of our life. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So that means they're spiritual hosts of wickedness. You understand that? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to withstand in that evil day, and having done all, to stand. So he's asking us to take on the armor and stand. Jesus got us the tools for the armor. So let's see what it says. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Well, the belt that's going to hold everything together here is the truth of the word. Well, the only place that we gather that truth is from the Bible, the Word, the manufacturer's handbook, the book that was written, 66 books put together in a book called the Bible that was written to set us free from all the wrong thinking of how we came to be. I laugh when I hear scientists today say, we don't know how we came to be. We don't know how aliens might have gotten DNA into the Earth's atmosphere and created a man. Aliens. Read the books. People are searching for answers. Scientists, of course, who don't want to accept the fact that there is a divine creator, want to just come up with all the laws and rules and coincidences of how we came to be. Yet they can't figure it out. They like the Big Bang Theory. Boom! There was a bang. And from that bang on, they can measure everything. They can tell you what happened from the time of the Big Bang. But how did the Big Bang happen? Where did it come from? How did man come to be the complexity of the human body, anyone who thinks they can create a human body like we have and put into it a mind, a spirit, and a soul, now's a good time to come forward. Oh, but we can do that in a, in a Petri dish. We can do that in a lab. We can do that in science. Not without the help of the DNA that's already here in man. You can't make it on your own. So we need to, as Christians, realize that they don't have the answers. The scientists, the doctors, they have the ability to diagnose what they see. And that's great, but they don't have the answers on how and who you are. So why would you listen to them for that? So here it says, therefore, Stand with the truth around your waist. Well, if you don't go to the Bible to get the truth, where are you going to get it? Oh, I know. Let's turn on CNN. Or let's turn on Fox. Or let's turn on TV, period. Because somebody's sure, or better yet, let's go to YouTube. I'm sure someone made a video on how to build a universe. <laughs> we have to laugh sometimes when we think about how to build a human being. Let's go to YouTube and see if anybody's done it. Well, they do have robots, but they're mechanical devices, and they will never, ever take the place of a human being with human skin and eyesight and ears. And yes, they can hear and they can see and they can accumulate data, the robots, I mean, but they aren't ever, ever, ever going to be a human being. And so, get the truth 
where are you going to get it? Uh, hey, if you don't go to the Bible, <clears throat> you're not going to get the truth. You're going to get some of it here, some of it there, and then what? I don't know. But number one, get the truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what the heck are you talking about? A breastplate. Well, in armor talk, a breastplate keeps your heart from getting pierced with an arrow or a sword. It's a big breastplate. But in this case, I'm going to say it covers a whole big portion of your body. But it's the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? What does it mean? It means that you have to stop thinking of yourself as an old sinner saved by grace. Yeah, you are. <clears throat> you are an old sinner, and you were saved by grace, but that's over. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, as your Lord, then you are no longer an old sinner. You may still sin occasionally, but you are not an old sinner. You are born again. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And as a new creation, that righteousness, that right standing with God, God is not mad at you. He is not upset with you. You are in his right standing. You are righteous before the Lord. You walk in there pure, sinless. How can you do that? Because it's the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin was made to be sin, so we could have his breastplate of righteousness. So when we stand before the Lord, we are righteous because of Jesus. We traded in our unrighteousness for his righteousness. So we take upon ourselves the breastplate of righteousness. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, we uh, have put the truth around us, the breastplate of righteousness, shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? To love one another is to bring peace wherever you go. We're not there to judge, condemn, ridicule, destroy, put down, or measure yourself higher than by arrogance or whatever, but we are to bring peace. So wherever we go, we put the boots on that represent bringing peace to the room, peace to the household, peace, peace, I say, peace, not as the world knows it, but as I give it, the Lord says, bring peace. So we have on the breastplate of righteousness, got our, our waist strapped up with truth. Now we have our boots on, bringing peace. Okay, and um, now what do we need next? The shield of faith. Oh, we take the shield of faith. Now, what is the shield for? It's to quench every fiery dart that the wicked one tries to bring against us. What's a fiery dart? Well, it could be somebody else harshly talking about you. It could be someone just ridiculing you or, or making you feel inferior or just judging yourself harshly, too, which we're not supposed to do. We're supposed to get out from under that judgment. 
But I believe that this shield is full circle. It goes all the way around us, covers our backside and our front. The shield, when I say shields up, I mean shields up. And these days, when I walk into any room, I put shields up. What does that mean exactly? It means that the shields are up and that we are protected front and rear from any sickness, any disease, any person, any, any threat that might come near us. No evil will befall us, neither shall any plague come near our dwelling, for God has given his angels charge over us. And we know that because of our righteousness and our shield of faith that we take with us. And then, of course, in this armor package, we got on our helmet, and we got our shield, and we got our boots, and we got our belt, but we don't have our sword yet, and that's the aggressive one. Up until then, we're all protected. We take out the sword, which is the Word of God. Now, if you don't know the Word, if you didn't read the Word, you didn't hear the Word, then you don't know the Word. But if you take out the Word and use it, in your life, now you're operating the sword of the Spirit. What do you mean by that? Well, glad you asked. What I mean by that is so somebody says, that person's pretty sick over there. I don't know that you, 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 you were just in there, so you're probably going to get it. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but no evil shall befall me, neither shall any plague come near my dwelling. For God has given his angels charge over me to bear me up in their hands, lest I dash my foot against a stone. In my pathway, by the way, is life. There is no death. So what are we saying? God's word, the sword, combats the evil words said by the news and everyone else telling us what's going to go wrong. And what do we say? We use God's word. The, the you know, a thousand might fall at my side, 10,000 at my right, but it will not come near me. No, no, no. Only with my eyes shall I look and see the reward of the wicked, for I have made the Lord God even the most high my habitation. And that's exactly what we should be saying. But if you don't know the Word, now remember, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word be, um, was God, and then the Word came to earth and was born into a, a person, became flesh, dwelt among us, and now we are born again children using the Word. Who actually originally spoke the Word but came into the earth to get us the strength and power back to use the word if we will take it out, take the sword out of its cover and use it. And a lot of people don't. You know, they just say, well, I'm getting this or I'm getting that or yeah, I'm just, I don't have enough money for that. You know, one of the things, one of the traps we fall into and as we learn about the kingdom of God and how God can just come on the scene and change everything for any one of us instantly, if we will believe. 
And, you know, what we sow, we, we reap, we're told. So we want to be good sowers. But at the same time, when we go to buy something, the first thing we do is we go and we see how we can afford it. Um, maybe some people don't. They just get a new credit card. I don't know. But if you go to see how you can afford it, well, the first thing to do is go to the Lord and ask Him to provide it. And not judge it on how much money you have, but don't go buy it till you have the money, but judge it on that God will supply you all your needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4.19 My God supplies all my needs, but if you need a car and you look at your bank account and say, well, I have to borrow the money, but the Lord says, oh man, no man, nothing except to love him, so I shouldn't borrow the money. How else could I get that car? And then you go and identify the car that you want, and you begin to believe for it so that God can supply the seed for the sower and supply your needs according to his riches so you could end up with the car without paying money out of your own account. Or your God will supply someone to bring it to you. We think the same way about homes. Homes are very expensive. You say, well, how could you buy a home without a mortgage? I don't know, but I tell you what. I believe God is big enough to deliver that if we ask for it. But I'll bet you most Christians don't ask for it. Because, well, it's so big. We just know everybody has to get a mortgage. And I'm not saying that you can't get one or you shouldn't get a mortgage to buy a home. I'm just saying, have you ever gone to the Lord and asked him first and given it a little time to have a miracle occur where God can actually supply the money so you don't need a mortgage or supply the money so you don't need to borrow it to buy a car? I think we're too quick to say, well, my credit score is good. I'll just go pick one up. Well, that's good. But then we're not using our faith in God. We can use our faith in God and have a whole different outcome, and you don't have to have that monthly payment for the next 60 months paying off that car or the next 30 years paying off that house. All I'm suggesting is that if you don't give it a shot, why would it ever occur? So we have all these things to think about. Number one, we have the armor on now. So now we have the sword, the shield, the, the truth, the, hel the salvation. Why the helmet of salvation? Because the helmet of salvation that we put on keeps us from ever being destroyed mentally, thinking we're not righteous. We've got to put on the helmet of righteous. I mean, the helmet of, of um, salvation. I, and I neglected to say that before. So we have the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, we've got the breastplate of righteousness, we've got the sword of the Spirit, the boots, which are the preparation of the gospel of peace, but most importantly, the helmet of salvation, because no matter how bad you feel, once you've accepted the Lord, guess what? You're going to be with Him in heaven in eternity. Your name gets written in the book of life. It's a great honor. It's a great thing. And then each one of us will go, and we will uh, be together 
but God wants you to have victory here on the earth as well. And that's why we need to get up every day, remind ourselves, put on that whole armor of God so that we can go out in the world and realize you are battling against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness. That's how it is. So put on your armor. And if you go out without it, um, don't be surprised if you get beat up a little bit, especially if you don't have the word, don't have your shield up. Um, and, and boy, it, it's just so easy to get down because if you turn on the news for an hour or half an hour or 10 minutes, it'll just make you feel awful. So most of us are turning off the news, turning off TV, turning on things like this where we can talk about the Word of God or go read the Bible, learn more about God's fourth dimension and His fifth dimension, and learn how the kingdom of God works. Because the kingdom of God is, is, is as if a man went out to sow seed. And he, as he sowed it, birds of the air came, and some of them ate some of the seed. But we are sowers, and we have to sow it on good ground and let the seed germinate and grow, and then it will bring forth a, a, a crop. It'll bring forth a fruit. Pressed down, shaken together, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, it'll come. But we have to first be the sower. The sower sows the word. Mark 4.11. That's where that came from. So here in Genesis 1.26 through 28, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Hmm. According to our likeness, let them have dominion. Do you feel like you have dominion? <laughs> over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Dominion. Look up the word dominion. Do a Google search. Look up the word dominion. And it means to take have full authority, full domination. Pretty interesting. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it. Fill the earth with other humans and subdue it. So God wasn't planning on making more atoms the way he made Adam. He was planning on having his creation able to reproduce and recreate more of themselves. What an amazing thing that a human being, first of all, the human body being so amazing, but then that a man and a woman could actually produce another man or woman. And God doesn't have to keep producing them. He doesn't have to set up a manufacturing facility. It's all being done for Him through us. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about how God created us in the 
how he went through an exhaustive way of thinking to get the best you he could get. And then gave your body to you and said, okay, let's go in the earth and do something with it. So we're going to be taking a break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. It's about time, it's about space, it's about saving the human race. It's about hate, it's about love, it's about everything above. It's about war, it's about peace, it's about changing history. It's about you, it's about me, it's about time. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. 2 Chronicles 7.14 WFYL reminds you to pray for America. It's about time, it's about space, it's about saving the human race. It's about hate, it's about love. It's about everything above. It's about war. It's about peace. It's about changing history. It's about you. It's about me. It's about time. And we're back from break. And if you're staying with us on the program, we're talking about being made in God's image and likeness. We were reading from Genesis where God said, let us make man in our image. I've heard it said, and I thought it was pretty, pretty neatly said, that God took a selfie, and then he made you and me. And each one of us represents a different face of God, a different piece of God. And that's why we're all so unique, but yet together we make up the body of Christ. And God made us, and he made us in his own image. That's something you've got to think about, that you're made in the image of God. Right now, I see people making robots. Uh, always starts with the female one, doesn't it? You know, but the female, the female robots, the AI robots that are being made, are made in the image and the likeness of beautiful women that we already have seen. Why is that? Because you wouldn't know what a beautiful woman looked like if God didn't create one for you to see. And so the creators of these robots are duplicating what they believe are beautiful women and making these robots, which I think they're beautiful and wonderful. But it's still a mechanical being, and it's made in the image and the likeness of a man or woman. Why? Because there's nothing better. There's nothing better. If there was something better, do you think they, they wouldn't be making it to look better? I'm going to tell you. You're good-looking as a human. There's no one on this earth that's not a good-looking human. It's all different. We're all different sizes, shapes, but we're all beautiful to God because we look like Him. We're made in His image and likeness. So God was not willing to lose any of us in the big skirmish where Adam gave it all away to Lucifer. So he sent Jesus to get us back, and now we're getting back. But what does getting back mean? So here it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. What does that mean? He didn't curse them. He blessed them. 
Now, sickness and death is a curse, but God didn't do that. He didn't curse them. He blessed them. Be blessed. Be happy. Be fruitful. He says, be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. Fill the earth. I think we've done that, or we're doing that. And subdue it. Subdue the earth. The earth is subject to us. We're not subject to the earth. It's not Mother Earth that we work for. We are the ones that can subdue it and have dominion, dominance, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, I don't know, but any living thing that moves on the earth, you and I have dominion over that? Do you feel like you do? Do you take dominion over wild animals? Do you take dominion over uh, everything that moves, any creeping thing? Did you ever get a spider in your house? Did you take dominion over it without just crushing it first? No. <laughs> if, you, if you spoke to that thing, what would happen? I don't know. That The Word is in you because Jesus is the Word, and He came and brought us the Word, and we take the Word. So whether we're eliminating a spider from the house or uh, an unwelcomed visitor, um, it has, the fact is that we are to be in, in dominance and subdue the earth. That includes anything that creeps. Uh, I think sickness and disease creeps. Um, any molecule that is a sickness or disease, we are to subdue it. We are to give, take dominance over it. Be blessed. Be healthy. Be fruitful. Multiply. That's God's will. Starts right there in Genesis 1. Be blessed. I don't read anywhere where he's saying, be cursed. I hope, can't wait for you to get your first disease. Boy, will you learn from that. Come on. Who makes up this stuff? And where are they getting it from? Yes, the curse is in the earth. It came when Adam fell. Sickness came. Death came. But Jesus got us back the keys to the kingdom so that we can get back what Adam had, and that is to subdue it and take dominance over it. So we're to subdue any illness, take authority over it. That's what we're told to do. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, that's a short little line. That's in James 4, 7. Submit to God. Number one, God's truth says we have authority over certain things. We're to submit to that. And believe that. Two, resist the devil. How do you do that? Don't listen to the thinking that tells you you don't have authority over it. That's how you resist the devil. You, the devil comes to take away the seed sown. The seed is the word of God. So we sow the seed by saying something bold like, uh, no weapon formed against me will prosper. And then all of a sudden we hear, but you know, you always get this thing, or always get that thing, and this is the way it is, and you know it always scares you. And so if we don't resist the devil, he won't flee. He's got a hold of you. Fear is absolutely him, dom Satan dominating you, causing you to be fearful of something, and the opposite of subduing it. But if he can control that in you, then he controls you. He doesn't have to be inside of you to do it. All you got to do is bring thoughts to your mind and make you think you thought of them. And if you're not getting the word from the Bible, the word of truth from that 
putting on the full armor, you, you might buy into it. Right now, if you turn on the news, it's not safe to go anywhere. You might as well just call it quits, stay home, unless you take God's word. And you take his word. I don't care if you got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated. I'm not talking about that. That's up to you. But God's word says that he will deliver you. It's no different than you looking at your bank account before you buy a car or a house. Are you relying on what's in there or what God will supply? Same thing with this. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and his glory. And he created a divine outcome for every one of us. It's hard to believe that the God of the universe cares individually about each one of us in such an intimate way that he knows everything you want before you even recognize you want it. God knows each one of us intimately. He does. And that's not a weird thing. That's a good thing. Remember, we're all made in the image of God, a different part of God. So we're all a part of him. Now he has invested in the fact that he's put you out as part of him, and you have an independent mind. He's risking that you won't choose him back. But God, when you do choose him back, feels totally connected to you and restored because of the fact that he created you. And your love for him is because he loved you first. God loved you first. You return that love, and the circle of life is completed. So, what do we do? How do we do it? Okay, therefore, submit to God. Father, thank you. Your will will be done. Show me your will. Show me how this all comes together. Resist the devil. I'm resisting all the thoughts that say it can't be done. Resisting, resisting, resisting. And Satan won't hang around because if you're not listening to him, he don't have a choir to preach to. So he will flee. He'll go find somebody who's willing to listen. It's pretty simple. Are you providing Satan an opportunity to win by using you to be the tool that he does it with? And can he make you ill enough to make God sad? God doesn't want to see you suffer. So if Satan can do things to you and I that causes God to be sad, he doesn't want that to happen. God wants to deliver you from every evil of this present world. That's his will. So the opposite, the, the truth of the matter is nothing should happen in this earth without the church's permission. We have complete authority. So nothing should happen without the church, the body of Christ, giving authority to it. And pretty much that's the way it is. Now the church needs to stand up and take full authority. Full authority. Matthew 16, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, wait a minute here. Peter was the one who doubted him and had some issues, and yet Peter is the one that said, you're the Son of God. And Jesus said, on this rock. What rock? Peter, the rock? At that time, Peter had not yet fallen temptationly to saying, I don't know who he is, and swearing and cussing. But for the moment, Peter spoke in the Holy Spirit by faith and said, no, he's the Messiah, the Son of God. 
It's the revelation knowledge that comes from the Holy Spirit that is the rock that God, Jesus, was talking about. He said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. The rock of revelation knowledge as Peter demonstrated that moment. Are you demonstrating that kind of rock? The revelation knowledge of truth by knowing that God will deliver you. He will set you free. He will make you healthy, wealthy. Oh, Art, watch what you're saying. He doesn't want to make everybody wealthy. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. He wants everybody. His, if you asked God what his perfect will is, it's to have everybody completely healthy and completely wealthy. But we all know that in this world that we live in, it doesn't always play out that way. Why? Because every single one of us, made in the image and likeness of God, has been given free choice apart from God to either do it 100% God's way, 50% God's way, 30% God's way, 20%, 10%, and the rest my way, or not. Every one of us. And to the degree that we submit is the degree that we walk in the blessing. And that's the truth. So, it said that we build it on this rock. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not, shall not prevail. That means that if we do it through revelation knowledge and by faith, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. They can't. The church is the strongest institution that has ever been on the face of the earth, if they know who they are. And that brought, brought us right back to the beginning. Do you know who you are? In, Jing, in uh, Matthew 18, 18, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, what does that mean? First of all, scientists are just discovering that if there's an atom that exists here on the earth, and that same atom exists 50 million light years away, and you change the structure of this atom, the one 50 million light years away also changes. What does that mean? When you pray out loud, words, we're doing words here, and we bind Satan and every assignment that's been placed on us or our family, that atom that was affected by that prayer is affected throughout the universe so that it automatically begins to work on behalf of your entire life, family, and everyone around you. Whatever you bind on earth, you're changing the atomic structure, and it's being bound wherever that atom is. Wow. That's what it means to bind and to loose. We want to loose or dispatch the angels of God to bring in our harvest. Our harvest is great. 
if you've sown, and we call in the harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold, and we loose the angels of God to bring it in. Therefore, the atoms of the earth's atmosphere are being affected wherever our harvest is, because it knows no time and space from that atom because of your words, and now we are blessed wherever we go. Because the blessing will follow you. The blessing will overtake you. The blessing of God is upon you. In the beginning, God blessed Adam, and he said, go take dominion. So now, <clears throat> whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever you loose is loosed. What are you binding with your mouth? When you say things like, that'll never happen to me, the atoms surrounding you and all of your life are being commanded to make sure it never happens to you. You don't get blessed because you said, I don't, that never happens for me. That's not my life. So you are affecting all of the circumstances, all of the atoms around you by your words. In James, it says the power of life and death is in the Word. We read at the beginning of this program, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And yet, here in the earth, somehow we've lost track of what it means when we say the Word. Words are the most powerful instruments ever designed to create. Right now, everybody gets excited because they have these different computer systems in their homes, Alexa and everything else, and they can talk to them. And words cause things to happen. Lights come on, things change. Uh, you can direct your whole house, the heating system, the lighting system. You can ask for information. Words. Everything you are witnessing is duplicating the kingdom, trying to duplicate the kingdom that God created. And the God-created kingdom that's in the earth is activated by words. You don't need Alexa. You don't need any of that. You just need the Holy Spirit. And you need God's word. And you need to control your mouth. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So seal it up, except for saying what you want, not bad things about anyone. That's the most valuable advice you can get. Um, God will allow you, you know, what you allow on this earth. He, he, whatever you allow to happen because you're speaking it over your life, your children, yourself, he'll allow it. It's a demonstration, but in heaven, it ain't going to be the same. No, 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 no. Hell will not follow you to heaven. And the words, first thing you're going to do is end up in kindergarten learning how to speak when you get to heaven, because it does matter. Words are powerful. Other words, God wouldn't have used words to create everything. Everything's created by words. Now, here in Ephesians 1, 16 through 23, do not cease to give thanks 
for you, making mention to you in my prayer. So I picked it up in the middle of a sentence there. I'm going to go to 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So it's revelation is what he was talking about with Peter when he said, upon this rock I will build my church. And now, here in Ephesians, the prayer is for you and I to have revelation knowledge of him. That our eyes, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. If we don't know the hope of his calling, what he's called us to hope for, then we're going to be broke, busted, sick, and disgusted. There's nothing fun about that. Um, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand and in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might, and, and dominion, and every, at every na- and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in all age to come. So Jesus, his name, and we are seated with him at his right hand. He is so far above it all that everything will bow to his name. So what do you think happens when you invoke the name of Jesus to pray over something. When you invoke God's name, Jesus's name, it's far above it. You dominate. Sounds like the beginning, right? Dominate, subdue, take authority. He gave us back the tool to do that. Everything today is a key word. For a Christian, the key word is Jesus, the Christ, and the blood that was shed at Calvary. If you will learn that, you can open any door that you need to open to get the victories you need in your life. That's what he's called us to do. I, I, I mean, it's amazing. We're above, far above every principality. And he put all these things under his feet and gave him to be heard over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Adam gave it away. Jesus got it back. It's really that simple. Um, One scripture more here. Ephesians 2 and verses 2 through 6. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the Prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ 
Jesus. So where are you? Who are you? You are seated in Christ Jesus. You're seated in him. And we are to begin to realize that we are no longer children of this earth. We grew up on this earth. We, we were A lot of wrong thinking was planted in us. But now it's our turn to turn that around with the Word of God. And uh, all I can say is that Jesus is Lord. And He loves us. And He got it back for us. He got it back for us to use every day to help one another, love one another, as Jesus loved the church. And if we don't use God's Word, if we just passively say, yeah, I, I understand, yeah, put on the armor of God, I know, take the Word of God, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm not that guy, I, I don't have that, we're not realizing the fullness of what God has given us. He's given us the breastplate of righteousness. He loves us, and He wants us to prosper. He wishes each one of us who are made in His image would get a glimpse of what He sees when He looks at us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to die, descend into hell, defeat Satan, take back from him the keys that he had stolen from Adam, come back, raise from the dead, and give us an opportunity to be born again in a way that all things work together for our good, spend eternity with him. God loves us. He loves you. What will we do with that? So, we've come to the end of another program, and I, for one, want to wish you all a blessed, happy, merry Christmas season. But for the most part, I want to wish you the best when it comes to identifying yourself as a child of God, made in the image and likeness of Almighty God. Be blessed. Have a great week. We'll talk again next week. Be blessed. It's about time, it's about space, it's about saving the human race. It's about hate, it's about love, it's about everything above. It's about war, it's about peace, it's about changing history. It's about you, it's about me, it's about time.